Welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast, a podcast for farmers and ranchers ready to shift for a stronger future. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful are not. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, you'll hear how producers of all sizes and practices are moving mountains for things they believe in, all in the name of an industry that keeps growing and innovating for a stronger food system and stronger farm families. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to discuss where producers are finding success, challenging the status quo, striving for better, and keeping our heritage alive, all while producing the food we depend on. This podcast is brought to you by Back Pocket Social Marketing. And yes, this is Lexi here. This podcast has been a real passion project for me. All the time that goes into interviewing guests, editing, and producing the show is sponsored by my freelance marketing agency. We specialize in website design, social media advertising, content creation and management, and email marketing. If you like to take a foundational approach to your marketing and figure out exactly what's working for you and what's not, and really focus on efficiency, then you would be a great candidate to work with us. You can reach out and talk with us more at Lexi at BackPocketSocial.com. We would love to help you solve your marketing challenges. Welcome back to Farming on Purpose. Today, I have a guest here today, Jess, and I'm really excited to have Jess here today. But before we dive into our conversation, which we've been trying to figure out how to fit into busy schedules for a while now, um, I want to take just a moment to thank someone for sending me an email this morning. Um, I think you actually sent it yesterday, but Rocky Glade Farm, um, Jim out of Nashville, Tennessee, sent an email to us and recommended a podcast guest. So I'm very excited to reach out to her, see if she can come on the podcast and just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to Jim for the kind feedback um, and appreciation for the podcast. If you guys are interested in learning more about Rocky Glade Farms, um, we may have them on the podcast here at some point if they're willing, but you can check out their grass-fed beef in several restaurants in Nashville, Tennessee, Rolf and Daughters, Folk, um, Dozen Bakery, City House, and Butcher and Bee. And then they also do grass-fed beef and I believe some other produce for pickup as well. So check them out at rockygladefarm.com. And we'll go ahead and get ready to dive into our interview today. So um, I should have asked this prior to starting this, but you're going to have to pronounce the name for me if I get it right. <laughs> uh, I get that all the time. So I always tell people, don't make it too complicated. It's just Perigo. Perigo. I say Perigo, Perigio. We get extra consonants in there all the time, but just Perigo. Perigo. Okay, perfect. Well, Jess is with us today representing Perigo Hay and Cattle. Um, Jess, her parents were from California and moved to Nevada in the early 2000s to start a hay farm. Um, so they were actually the first generation farmers for their farm. Um, and Jess was in high school at the time. She went to college and lived in Seattle for a time and then decided to move home to start managing the ranch in 2015. Um, you didn't grow up around cows. So this has been a large learning curve. I can 100% relate to <laughs> that. Um But yeah, tell us a little bit about that and then getting your master's in cattle nutrition. What's things been like since you came back to the farm? Yeah, so it's kind of been a whirlwind. Um, Sorry about jumping into like the deep end here. 
But basically what happened was um, my parents uh, being first generation ranchers, you know, uh, as anyone out there who has tried to start their own farm, it's a lot of money up front. You have to buy land, you have to buy equipment, all these expenses. Um, And so they uh, were approached when they were in California, they were doing some custom work, um, which means you like uh, cut break, bale, stack, uh, hay for other people. Um, so they were doing that. And one of their customers was a dairy farmer and the dairy farmer actually knew of this hay farm for sale in Nevada. So he approached my parents and were like, Hey, you should go to Nevada, buy this hay farm and then sell me the hay. And so that was the original plan. But, uh, as we know with farming and ag, like you can have a plan and then your plan is going to change 20 times in one year. Um, so anyway, one of the years that they were uh, doing hay, the hay market kind of crashed. And so uh, my dad thought, well, you know what? We should buy some cows because I think it would be better for us to run the hay through the cow as feed and then sell the calf and it'd be more profitable than try to sell the hay. So that's kind of how we got into the cattle business was just as another way to make the year work financially. Um, so I was at... UNLV going to college there when that happened and he called me he's like yeah I bought some cows I was like what why would you buy cows like we had never been around cows or animals or anything we were just hate farmers um so anyway so after UNLV I moved to Seattle and then he really got into the cows and really loved it um and so he called me one day and he's like do you have any vacation time and I was like well maybe I could try to make something work and he said well I'm going to a bull sale in Montana do you want to meet me there I was like I don't know I don't know what a bull sale is I don't know if I want to spend my vacation on that so anyway I went because it's dad and then the whole time I was there I was like wait why are you buying this bull what's wrong with this bull like I just got so into it and so then I went home and my fiance now husband at the time he uh was like hey uh what would you think about me being a rancher? He's like, what? You work for Starbucks. What are you talking about? (laughs) Um, Anyway, so we moved back and uh, I read a book. Actually, I have it here somewhere. um, How to Raise Beef Cattle for Dummies. And you learn so much from that book if you've never been around animals before. And then I moved back and um, just started trying to absorb as much information as I can. I went to conferences. I asked neighbors just because I never, I didn't know a vaccine program. I didn't know a breeding program. I didn't know any of that. And um, yeah, so now that was 2015. So we're going strong now. But yeah, so uh, with my master's in 2019, the fall of 2019, I approached my parents and I said, hey, I think it would be beneficial if I went back to school and got some actual like formal education about cows. And they said, OK, you're going to get another bachelor's because my first bachelor's is in business management. And I said, I think I'm just going to apply to a master's program. And so I applied to the University of Nebraska and uh, the one of the admission people emailed me and she said you don't have an undergrad in animal science you're gonna really struggle in a master's program and i said i'm a quick learner just give me a chance to prove myself it'll be fine she's like okay so i started in 2020 at the university of nebraska online and i graduated in 2022 so i now have a master's in cattle nutrition so i can now say i know a little bit more than i used to at least formally but 
Yeah, it's been super fun. The Farming on Purpose podcast is turning a year old, and we think it's high time to invite you into our mission. Be sure to follow me on Instagram for weekly giveaways in October leading up to our one-year anniversary. You can find me at right at the moment. That's right, just like my last name. To get more info on how you can enter the giveaways this month, join us in the Farming on Purpose Facebook group or sign up for updates in your inbox at farmingonpurpose.com. While you're there, check out the new merch we just dropped in the shop. You'll find t-shirts, stickers, and notebooks, all inspired by the people building ag legacies. Thanks so much for being here. Wow, what a journey. So from Starbucks <laughs> in Seattle back to the ranch in Nevada, um, I have some questions about how that transition went. Sure. So as hay farmers, most of that business is based on getting the crop off of the land and then selling right. Were you still doing that with the hay when you were feeding or were you just grazing or how did that all go? Yeah, so we're still in the hay business. Um, right now we have transitioned from doing um, big bales test hay for dairies to doing small bales uh, horse feed for feed stores. So most of our hay now um, goes to Florida or uh, Kentucky, um, the horses there. Um, so yeah, we still do a little bit of that. And then, of course, we maintain some for our cows for winter feed as well. That's a big shift then to be doing. Yeah. You were going from dairies to horses. What were some of the things that you guys had to consider in that transition? Yeah, so it was really nice for us because when we were starting the business um, back in the 80s, we had big balers and small balers already. So it kind of made us easy easier to flip back and forth between the two. We'd have to buy a bunch of equipment, um, but mostly just learning um, how to plant cool weather grasses because before we were just planting alfalfa for dairies, but now we want to do uh, a cool weather grass legume mix because that is better for horses. And also with our elevation, it grows really well here. Um, and then also you have to have more people because doing small bales, it's going to take a lot longer um, and more people to do the same amount um, of hay. So just kind of adjusting and tweaking, but we still maintain our California operations. So sometimes we are able to bring guys from California to Nevada and vice versa. Um, so really, we were just lucky that we were kind of already set up to do whatever we kind of wanted. We made it really easy to adjust back and forth. Um, but now we are fully into just doing feed store hay. Okay. I find the hay business so fascinating because there are so many things that happen kind of behind the scenes that most people probably don't think about. If you're buying hay locally, it's probably somebody somewhat in the in the region to you that you're buying from and then hauling it home. But there are a lot of brokers and hay businesses out there that do ship all over or truck all over like you guys are doing to like you said, Florida and where else? And Kentucky. Yeah. Kentucky. That's yeah. incredible to think about how much hay is moved in our country. It really is. And what's really cool is last year we were actually putting hay in a cargo box and then um, it would go to Salt Lake and then they would take that cargo box and put it on a train. So then it was being shipped to Florida via train. So that was really awesome. But this year they haven't moved any via train. It's just been all truck drivers just driving the whole way there, which is crazy. But thank goodness for them because we wouldn't have any hay to sell if it wasn't for those truck drivers. But yeah, hate the hay business is really tough because unlike cows um 
weather plays such a huge role in that. I mean, weather does with your calving season, but really that's kind of it. Um, and then, you know, your seed costs, your fertilizer costs, you know, all that can go up and down and up and down, but sometimes the market doesn't reflect that. So you don't have a lot of control over that. So hay is really, really hard, uh, which is why we also do cows and beef. <laughs> so we try to balance balance ourselves out a little bit. That's good. Well, and moving to like stocking farm stores, that's very different than most hay businesses as well. Right. What kind of a transition was that like? Yeah, so it's just, um, you kind of just have to be really self-critical whenever you're putting up the hay to know, like, if I was shopping at a feed store and I saw this bale that is a little bit lighter, maybe I had a mistire in it or something, would I buy that? Probably not. So let's put that in the cow pile, you know? So the stuff we're only shipping to feed stores is our best, best stuff, um, just because you only make a first impression once. You want those customers keep, to keep coming back. You want those brokers to keep buying your hay. Um, you know, it's just, you want to win, win, win all around, or otherwise it's not worth doing. For sure, for sure. Yeah. I think it was like um, National Truck Drivers Appreciation Day this earlier this week or maybe last week, but oh. I think definitely feel the appreciation across the board. Like, it's, I don't know if there's any business in the U.S. anymore that would function without truck drivers. Yeah. Absolutely it's not. It's insane. Absolutely not. Especially with how much everyone uses Amazon Prime. Honestly, like just Amazon alone, you know? No joke. But yeah, it's crazy. And it's, um, I think there's just a shift in the United States back to those trades, which has been really fun to see. So I hope that we can keep getting those jobs filled and keep those trucks on the road because we need them. Absolutely. So for you, it was really more the cattle that brought you home, <laughs> right? So but, yeah. What was it about that that made you be like, I need to be back there being involved in this, learning about this, going to get your master's in a related field? What was it for you? Um, you know, I just kind of fell in love with the animal, you know, like they once you learn about cows, you realize that not only do they play a critical role in the environment, but that you realize how much byproducts we get from cows besides just beef, you know, like literally crayons, paint, leather, like all these different things you would never, ever know unless you learned about the animals. So it just kind of became a passion that I just, I fell in love with these guys and I just wanted to take care of them. <laughs> so that's what I do. Awesome. Do you guys um, focus mainly on the cow calf then? Because you said you market the calves. Yep. Yep. So we, um, every year we just kind of try to adapt and learn from the year before. So recently we have um, started selling our calves private treaty to Prime Pursuits, which is, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them or not, but they are based out of Texas um, and they are the procurement program for 44 Farms Bulls. So basically buy bulls from 44 Farms and your calves meet a certain criteria like black agus verified uh, natural, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then they will buy your calves back. Um, so we kind of started doing that about four or five years ago. Um, but we just got the private treaty a couple of years ago. So um, that's been really, really nice because as most cow calf operators know, you typically just call like your superior rep or someone to come video your calves then they go to market and you really don't have a lot of control over that but doing it this way 
we kind of get to negotiate and set a price and we have a really great working relationship. So it's been really nice to know like, hey, in December when I sell these cabs, this is like the check that I'm probably gonna get. So it's been it's been such a blessing to work with them. Um, and then we also maintain or retain a certain amount of calves for our beef program. So we just started doing beef direct to consumer in 2020. Um, so that's been super fun to watch that grow as well. So we sell some calves prime pursuits and we sell some calves via Perigo beef. Very cool. So you said that you had just gotten that private treaty within the last few years? Yeah. Yep. We've only been doing it. Uh, probably 2021 was our first private treaty agreement. Cool. And was that a connection because you were buying the 44 Farms bulls or how did that unfold? How did you guys discover that? I think a lot of folks kind of want to know more about those other options to market their calves and, and be aware of how they can make connections like that. Absolutely. So um, I was going down to Texas um, to their bull sales quite often. They have them in March and they have one in October here in a couple of weeks. And um, they were talking about this program and we were already uh, getting verified, uh, doing all the verification for our calves through uh, IMI Global, which is the third party verification. Um, and so we already kind of checked all the boxes for what they were looking for. So I just walked up to someone who worked there and I said, hi, I have calves that I think meet your requirements. Can I talk to someone about it? And so they were like, yeah, they are super easy to work with. They will have a conversation with any of them anyone, no matter how big or small or wherever you are in the United States. So I definitely recommend um, giving them a call if you are in the area, if you're going to buy a bull, if you're not going to buy a bull, never hurts to make a phone call. They're super nice. So they can lead you in the right direction for sure. The power of introducing yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes <laughs> you just have to muster up the curse, be like, okay, I'm going to go just say hi and see how it works. But yeah, it's really paid off. Very cool. Um, what was the verification? Sorry, I didn't know we were going to dive into that today. I didn't know <laughs> we're verified um, through them. What was the verification process like through IMI? Yeah, so that's been super great. We started doing that back when we were marketing our calves through Superior. Um, but once again, like you go through all this extra work to do with this verification, and then like you're not sure if it's going to pay off on market day or not. Um, but the way that works is um, you call IMI Global. They, you tell them like where you're located. They have a person come out and do an annual audit. It sounds super scary. It's not. They're super nice. They're not going to like, you know, sit there and tell you everything you're doing wrong. Um, and then they just kind of say, do you want to be, you know, Black Angus verified? Do you want to be verified natural? Do you want to be not hormone treated? Like all these different boxes. You kind of say, these are the ones I'm thinking. Um, and then your first year is going to be a lot of documentation because it's going to be um, your calving books. So if you want to do age and source verified, um, you have to just like show them like your red book. If you are a rancher who carries a red book during calving season. So it just shows like your first and last calf born date. Um, so it's just a lot of upfront documentation that first year, but then every year after that, it's easier because then they just come and they say, Hey, let me see this paperwork. You turn that over. It's great. And a lot of times they already have the forms made for all the di different verification programs that they want you to fill out throughout the year. So I just have like a clipboard in the shop and then I go through and fill it out when it's happening. And then when it comes time to audit, just turn that in. So they walk you through it. They hold your hand. No one's, no one's mean. So it's really great. So I, uh, I highly encourage people to, to go that route. Just call IMI. 
Very cool. Well, thank you for sharing what that was like for you guys. I know there is a lot of people like looking into some of those programs, but there's, it's hard to navigate their websites. I feel like there's just not a lot of understanding of what this is, what benefit you'll receive for doing it, because it's just so varied from operation to operation. Absolutely. And a lot of the things that they audit you on are things that ranchers already know and already doing, but we may not write it down, you know? So just, it's just a practice of starting to just keep notes on what you're doing when you vaccinate, you know, what you vaccinate with, you know, those types of things. So um, I know all of us ranchers keep a million notes in our heads, but sometimes we forget to write things down. So just try to practice at the end of the day, kind of jotting down what you did that day that it makes it easy. Yeah. And if anyone needs help with that, they can reach out to me on Instagram or whatever. And now you'll hook them up with my auditor. Be on their merry kind of you. Awesome. Um, well, when you returned back to the ranch then and you're more involved on the cattle side than the hay side, is that fair to say? That is. Yeah. What does your day to day role look like? And did it start out that way or how has it evolved over time since you've been back? Yes. Yeah, so, um, my first summer back, I literally just followed my dad around like a lost puppy. Like I was just like, okay, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Um, now he's kind of semi-retired. So I am more in charge of what everyone's day-to-day operation looks like. So here we have myself and um, three full-time guys. So in the mornings, we just meet, like right now, we are putting up third cutting hay. We just finished yesterday. Um, So in the mornings we meet, we say, okay, we're raking this field. We're bailing this field. Um, After we get that done, we're going to put salt blocks out for these cows to this pasture, we're going to check water here, et cetera, et cetera. So then like today we are loading hay trucks. So then it's just, you know, today we're loading hay trucks, blah, blah, blah. So every day is different. We try to make sure we check the cows as often as we can, but right now they're still out on their summer pasture. Um, we'll bring them home in a couple weeks. So there's not a lot going on with them right now. And then um, in December, we'll start feeding cows full-time. And we usually feed cows full-time December to May. Of course, we have our spring cabin season in there. So every day is just a new adventure here at the farm. But uh, yeah, it just kind of depends on what we have going on for the day um with our beef program it's been a lot of you know drive cows to this butcher pick up beef at this butcher all that kind of stuff and with us being so rural everything is four hours away so it's kind of like whole day is gonna be that um so anyway it's just a a fun what are we doing today adventure which is what i love about this job is that there's no two days that are exactly the same ever but yeah that's awesome. Do you get to listen to a lot of podcasts on your driving then? Do you have any recommendations I, for us? I listen to podcasts or audio, audiobooks about 90% of my day. So um, right now I've been listening to a lot of um, Calm Down podcasts, which if you are a football fan, uh, Aaron Andrews and Chris Thompson do that one. And it's super fun because it's just a couple girls talking about football and then they usually talk about spanks and stuff too. Um, I listen to armchair expert, um, is another good one. Uh, discover ag. Oh, geez. I don't know. There's, I have like 20 of them that I'm subscribed to, but yeah, I just try to, it depends on what I'm in the mood for. Am I in the mood to learn something about the Angus association today? Or am I in the mood to listen to the girls talk about, Patrick Mahomes, you know, it just depends. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
so fun. I love listening to what other people listen to podcast wise, because I feel like Apple has still not figured out exactly like the search feature for podcasts. It's so hard to find things topic. I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I've been switching back and forth between Spotify and Apple podcasts. Um, But yeah, it's tough. It is. It is. Um, Okay, well, shifting gears a little bit here, the reason or what I think I've followed you for quite a while on Instagram, and that's where I first reached out to you. But what nudged me to reach out to you was a reel that you made about not letting your family farm become a statistic. And then shared some really impactful statistics about farms um, that is happening very real time. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and kind of what pushed you to share that narrative? Yeah, so um, I don't know the statistics off my head, um, but all the statistics I put in that reel were um, off the USDA website, um, and they were just—they're just awful. They're terrible. You know, they're—it's—it's it's so heartbreaking what people are going through, whether you're in corn or ranching or dairy or whatever sector of the industry you're in. It's it's tough. And, um, you know, I know that like yesterday or the day before was like mental health awareness day. And so that's another strong one with the, uh, ranching community. Cause we are like three and a half times more likely to die by suicide. So, um, just these really heavy, heavy, heavy topics that I think sometimes get glossed over on Instagram. You know, we love showing the cute calves or petting the bulls or whatever, but sometimes we need to be like, hey, this is a real anxiety that people live with every day. Um, So what inspired that was the fact that we are first-generation ranchers. And so, um, you know, we have a huge mortgage payment to make every year. Yeah. Uh, Nothing was handed to us. You know, we were still paying all our equipment and all of our stuff. And so it's just, you know, how do we keep adjusting how do we keep adapting to keep making that payment when the weather doesn't cooperate and ravens on our hay or when um, the calf market drops when it's not supposed to or when all these things happen that are out of our control. And so what we try to do is adjust ourselves so that we can have things that are in our control. For instance, with our cow calf, we started selling beef because at least we can control what we get for those calves because we get that money for the beef and it goes directly to our bank account. It's not through anyone else. It's literally just us and the customer. Um, another thing that we do is we've looked into doing um, Airbnb. We've looked into um, selling hay, like a box of hay to like people on Amazon with rabbits or guinea pigs, like doing, you know, kind of more of that. So just always trying to think of new ideas where we can control the money that we get a little bit better. Um, So that's kind of what that Instagram rule was, just kind of, you know, thinking about things outside of the box that we can keep doing so we can control our profit margins a little bit better. I think the, I'll I'll go ahead and read the statistics that you shared there. I have it pulled up. Um, So you say you refuse to let your family farm be another statistic. Net farm income is forecast to decrease 18.2% in one year. Two, over 2 million family farms filed bankruptcy in 2022. 
and the U.S. loses 2,000 acres of farmland every day. The odds are against us, but we keep going. And I think I think you just captured it so well there, the spirit of kind of this generation of agriculturalists who are coming into um, kind of the decision-making role on a lot of farms. Right. Um, we, I feel like we're all so tired of being told either A, get off the farm because there's no future for you here or B, you can come back, but it's going to be really hard and you're going to be poor your entire life and nothing's ever going to go your way type of a thing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, another thing that I've realized just from um, getting more on social media and following other people is that typically people work at a quote unquote in town job and then they just kind of ranch at on evenings and weekends, which is like, who has that many hours in a day? And that's crazy. But, you know, people are just so willing to be a part of it and do what they need to do to accomplish holding on to their little sector. Like, it's just, it's amazing how resilient and kind of strong headed we all are. You know, yeah. we're just, we're just going to keep figuring things out. But yeah, it's, uh, it's tough for, for the 2023 American ag industry, I think for sure. And the fact that we have, uh, the, I think like the majority, like over 60% of American ranchers are like 60 years or older. Like, it's just, we can't, we can't have everyone just retiring, you know, like, what are we going to do? We have to be, we have to have all these other things that we get from cows. So anyway, um, I just try to just share our story, share what we do. Hopefully someone can get some inspiration or maybe be like, that's a great idea. Do you mind if I steal your idea? I don't know. Go ahead. I don't care. If you want to sell direct to consumer beef, you reach out to me. I'd be happy to help you. So uh, anyway, it's just, it's a tough time. But I think the more people we have that are willing to be resilient, willing to think outside the box, do things a little bit differently, I think it's going to be okay. Yeah. And that willingness to help others along that you just offered right there, um, I think is what's going to really change the game for a lot of us. I think so much of our past, um, past generations, it's like, well, your competitors are your neighbors next door. So we stay tight lipped and we, we don't necessarily share things, but now it's like there's so much need in agriculture for growth and innovation that the only way we're going to get that is by sharing and communicating with each other. I wholeheartedly agree. You said it so perfectly. Yeah. Um, that's why that's one of the reasons why I started being on social media was a, I wanted to have transparency for people who are not in the ag industry because like 98% of Americans are even in the ag industry. Mm -hmm. Um, and B I want transparency with, you know, like my neighbors, like, you know, we're doing this, uh, we're, this is what the vaccines I use because we're in this area, you know, whatever it may be. So, um, whatever it may be, we're an open book, check us out, reach out. I'm happy to help. Absolutely. Well, that's so nice of you to, to be offering that to folks. Um, hopefully your inbox doesn't get overwhelmed after this, but maybe again, hopefully it does. I mean, that's a good sign, right? We yeah, people sure. out there wanting to talk to, talk to each other and get ideas. Um, another thing that you talk about on your social media a fair amount is kind of different practices that you guys are using to mitigate environmental impact. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, so that is um, really kind of inspired from the where food comes from um, partnership that we have. Um, if you don't know where food comes from, you should look them up online. They do beef, lamb, I think poultry and fish maybe or something, but basically they have kind of three pillars that they want ranchers to meet and it will be um, uh, environmental stewardship, animal husbandry and community partnership. Um, So what that kind of looks like for us in that stewardship piece is just like what every rancher is doing once again we've all been doing this for years and years and years but we may not have been using the safe vernacular or whatever it may be um but just things like rotational grazing um water management uh using our manure from feeding our cows in the pins in the winter spreading that manure in the spring or in the fall on our hay fields um, rather than using synthetic fertilizer, uh, using that organic matter. Um, you know, it can just, it can look like a variety of things, but um, we are in a country with limited natural resources and we need to preserve those natural resources as much as we can. So just being really conscientious about how we are using the land, how we are using the water, um, even like air quality, like taking the quads instead of a pickup, you know, just kind of those types of things um, make a make an impact, you know? Yeah, they do. And I think it adds up and we know that it's just right. sometimes we forget how much it adds up and how how much, especially operations who are more sizable can impact that um, and lead the way when you share what you're doing with other people as well. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's really easy. I see a lot on social media about, you know, the people of Hollywood, quote unquote, people of Hollywood blaming cows or saying, don't eat meat because it's bad for the environment, blah, blah, blah. And then I see a lot on social media from ranchers saying, well, airplanes are terrible and they're still flying around their jets. Absolutely. Yeah. All I'm trying to do is I'm not trying to point the finger. I'm just trying to show what we can do and what we have control over that we can be doing better. Um, Cause it's easy to sit here and point the finger and be like, we're not the problem. You're the problem. But really it's global greenhouse gas emissions, not just London, Nevada greenhouse gas emissions. <laughs> we try uh, we try to just, you know, focus on ourselves and focus on things we can control. Not say that I don't appreciate all these ad- advocates we have on- online that, you know, are willing to go toe to toe with these celebrities. It's just not my, not what I'm interested in doing. Yeah, I am right there with you. I've been working on some content pieces to put on mine about greenhouse gas emissions. And I've I had them on my schedule to put them up last week and I didn't do it because I was like, I'm just like second guessing my like voice on this because I feel very similar to you of I don't want to be sitting here saying pointing at other people like it's your fault like it's it's all of us collectively we just have to all understand what pieces we can control and focus on that but that's really hard to convey in a 30 second little (laughs) right yeah um i think as long as you come from it from a point of view that is transparent and is authentic I think people will pick up on that. So I wouldn't stress about it too much. You may get a few naysayers, but you may uh, 
you may surprise yourself with how many people positively react to what you are saying. Well, thank you for the support there. Maybe I'll get it posted this week. We'll see. There you go. If you do submit to me, I'll, I'll share it for you. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. Um, well, I think the talking about like the spreading the manure out on the hay fields and that kind of thing, so much of that is so complex of like for people to understand chemically why it's different or how it's better. Um, and it's taken a lot of time and money and research to discover those things and like what is actually impacting the greenhouse gas emissions. Um that I think so many people feel that research gap. Like for me, I spent hours and hours reading scientific papers just to go make some little informational, educational things. Yeah. As a farmer trying to decide what your practices are going to be and how to best utilize your resources and minimally impact the environment. That's a huge responsibility that I think a lot of folks right now are just, they feel the pressure of like, well, over here, I've got a huge mortgage payment and equipment payments that I've got to make. Over here, I need to be taking responsibility for my impact on the environment. Like, where where do I figure out how to do this? Yeah, it's all just a balancing act. And at the end of the day, you just need to decide, A, what makes sense to your operation? Because if it doesn't make sense to spend the man hours spreading manure or buying a manure spreader, uh, and it's just easier for you to just hire the local fertilizer person to come out and spread your fertilizer in the spring, then great, do that. Because at the end of the day, you're still having a higher yield. If you have a higher yield on that field, um, then that is a good use of that field, that land, you know? Um, but if you do have the means to do so, then, and it makes financial sense to you, then you should, you should look into it. Um, so I think it's all just, um, I think it's all just a balancing act and just trying to put a pencil to it, you know, like what does it actually look like versus what this looks like and, um, the pros and cons. And, you know, we just, we do a lot of that, a lot of penciling because we're new at this, we're figuring it out, um, so what works for our neighbor may not work for us because they're in a different situation than we are. And like, that's okay. Um, but yeah, I would just encourage people to just really try to make some time in your day to figure out these different scenarios that you are looking at too. Yeah. I think the other thing is it takes time. A lot of times we see those statistics and we think, oh my gosh, I have to change things overnight. Like I've got to figure this out. But that's not how it works in reality. It takes a lot of time and planning just to make even the smallest changes sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, at the end of the day, all you can try to do is be better than you were yesterday, you know? So you don't have to be perfect. You just have to keep working towards it. Absolutely. Um one of the other things that I wanted to chat with you about is, and we've talked about it a little bit already, but you guys have really diversified your operation. So from the very beginning with the hay and then bringing in the cattle, um, diversifying the type of hay that you are doing, what are some, and then grass-fed beef, private tree beef, you're, you guys are on this whole diversification game. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so that's really out of pure necessity. Like I was saying earlier, um, you can, can only control 
what you can control, you can't control the market. Um, so that was really like with the, hey, okay, we were growing alfalfa, which we still grow a little bit, but what grows better? What's better? What's horse people, what are horse people looking for? You know, that kind of thing. And then that's how we ended up with uh, orchard grass alfalfa mix because orchard grass doesn't grow everywhere. It grows here. So like we might as well grow a niche type of product for people. Um, and then uh, with uh, our cows, we wanted to do black Angus. Um, that's a whole thing because my dad had a black Angus steer when he was like 12 years old that he showed up 4-H. And then anyway, he had a tie to a black Angus steer 50 years ago. So that's why we have black Angus now. But also really the Angus kind of breed has already done so much marketing for us so it's like we might as well just go that route because we love angus beef and it's already marketed super great um so just kind of playing to your strengths whether that be the area that you live in the elevation you live at um what kind of your interests are you know everyone's different i can't go grow corn i don't know anything about corn um but you know there's gonna be people out there who are really great at that and maybe they can figure out how to use that cord in a different way. So just trying to open your mind to different things, watch what other people are doing, watch what other people are succeeding at, not succeeding at, and just trying to adapt and grow and figure out what you want to do and how to get really good at it. Absolutely. But yeah, it's so, so true that they're looking at the resources that you have in your unique situation is what's going to give you your leg up. And it sounds like you guys have really put a lot of time and energy into figuring that out, which like you said, out of necessity. Right. But you just, you can't be afraid to change. That's it. You can't be so steeped in tradition. Like dad, we've always grown alfalfa. We know how to grow good alfalfa. We should keep doing alfalfa. Or let's look at some other crops. Let's see what else works here. You know, like you just, you can't be afraid to change. You can't cannot. So I uh, always tell people that it's a blessing to be a first generation and also a curse because at least we don't have grandpa over here telling us, well, this is how we did it. So this is how you need to do it. You know, so it is what it is. Absolutely. You don't have the um, person telling you, you need to do it this way, but you also have to learn a lot of things the hard way. Exactly. Exactly. You also have to learn through trial and error on everything you do so yeah have you guys had any experiences like that where it was like oh my gosh this went completely not how we expected yeah so one year we decided that so the cattle market was projected to do really well in 2015 or 2016 and so we decided to buy a bunch of heifers and we were like we're gonna buy some heifers we're gonna AAI them and then we're gonna sell them as bread heifers in uh, the fall next year um, and really try to capture this really great market. And then um, 2016 hit and the market plummeted and we were stuck with all these heifers um, that we couldn't sell. We didn't even make back the money that we spent on them. And so it was a disaster. So we're still trying to kind of balance back from that. Um, But yeah, that was a, that was a tough one. That was a tough year for sure. Uh, but there's just, there's going to be those things. Like I said, we thought it was going to be a great deal. We were like, all the all the signs say this is going to work out. And then it didn't. So it is what it is. Just got to figure out what we're doing in 2017. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the diversification, I'm sure, helps protect you more from things like that. Sure. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, you said that was in 2015, 2016, and here we are, 2023, and it's still like, wow, we are still working to come back from that mistake right. or that lesson learned. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's a lot easier to take risks when you have hay to sell or whatever it is. Um, but also a risk is a risk. So it doesn't always work out, but yeah. And it's keep trying. Very true. Well, um, I have one more question for you today and that is what has you fired up lately? And there's no rules or parameters about this. If it, <laughs> you want to talk football, <laughs> we can talk football. If you want to talk ag, whatever is got you, you know, passionate about lately. Well, um, actually we kind of have some fun things that we are doing with the ranch that are going to open in 2024. Um, this will be the first time I've talked about it publicly, um, but we are opening a steakhouse in January of 2024. So it's going to feature our beef. Um, my husband is going to be the lead chef there. Um, so that's something that we have been working super hard on or do we're in the middle of construction right now. Um, we're about 10 weeks out from being done with that and opening. So that has been so fun to do. And oh my gosh. <laughs> so there you go. First, first on the scene with that news. Awesome. Yeah. We can, we can uh, claim the press release. <laughs> can claim the press release. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that has taken up so much of my extra time uh, and energy is figuring that stuff out. So I do uh, watch every uh, Sunday afternoon football game and Sunday evening, which I am also passionate about, but for the majority the state house has taken a majority of my brain lately. I'm sure that's a huge undertaking. So <laughs> exciting. Um, where can you tell us more, like where it's going to be? Anything yeah, else? So, um, it's going to be in the Copper Queen Hotel, which is in Ely, Nevada. Um, so if you're staying at that hotel, you should check out JT's Steakhouse. That is so awesome. Awesome. Now, does your, you said your husband's going to be the lead chef. We didn't really talk about him much. Does he have a lot of culinary experience? How's that play into things on the ranch? Yeah. So, um, he is a, he was a teacher. Um, and then, but he's always had a passion for cooking. So, uh, he decided, um, that he wanted to just try out cooking because you're only, this age once. And um, so he made the scary decision to step away from his salary teaching position and go into business for himself. So we started um, with just a small catering business. Um, so he's been doing some catering for uh, about a year now. And then uh, now that he's getting a little more confidence, um, we had this opportunity come up with these hotel owners that approached us. They said, we have this restaurant. We have nothing in the restaurant. Do you want the restaurant? And we're like, Absolutely. So, um, yeah, he's really excited, really nervous, but he's a excellent, excellent, excellent cook, which is great because I can't cook at all. So <laughs> I always tell people if I had to make food for myself, I would starve. I would just eat cereal every night. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like a match made in heaven then. Uh, that is so exciting. I will for sure be cheering you guys on from afar yeah. if we ever make it that way. It's on the it's on the travel list now. <laughs> Perfect. Yep. Yep. I raise the beef and he cooks it. So it's a fun, fun dynamic. Are you having to um, like increase what you guys are finishing out then for the restaurant in preparation for that? 
We are. Um, so I had to um, recalculate what my uh, steers are eating so that they gain three and a half pounds per day, not two and a half pounds per day, which is what I had them at. And then also we've held back a few more animals. Um, the lucky thing for us is that we have a spring herd and a fall herd. Um, so we have calves kind of year round staggered for the most part. Um, so it's not just like, oh, I have to wait till next year to start holding nails back. I can make a move now. So that's been really nice. Um, but yeah, we've we've definitely had to hold a few more back, but also in the big scheme of things, it's not that much more than what we were already doing. Cool. Very yeah. fun. We'll, we'll be sure to watch for updates on that. I can't wait to see how that goes for you guys. And we'll be thinking of you during all the preparation process. Thank you. We're going to need it. Yeah. Keep us in your thoughts and prayers. Uh, at a restaurant in 2020, January, winter, it's always tough in this high elevation environment, but we're going to cruise through and see what comes of it. For sure. Awesome. Well, um, Tell us where we can find out more about upcoming things for you. Where can we learn more about your beef, your hay, the restaurant? What, where can people follow up with you at? Sure. So all of our social media is just Perigo Hay Cattle, P-E-R-I-G-O-H-A-Y-C-A-T-T-L-E. Um, we're on Instagram and Facebook. You can also subscribe to uh, our website. Um, and we have a lot of... Um, updates on that uh, that's more beef but you know there's sometimes some stuff about the ranch with that um but yeah i would say instagram's usually the best place to see what i'm doing uh facebook a little bit but you're gonna see more on instagram so awesome Check and cute that. merch there too right on the website yeah. yep yep we have um some hats some candles whatever whatever you fancy we got it on there <laughs> a little bit of everything awesome well, thank you so much for joining us today, Jess. I hope you had as much fun as I did. And I hope that folks um, reach out to you if they are in a similar space that you are and can learn from each other. You guys can chat. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or join the conversation on social media. Do you have a topic you would like to discuss or know someone with a story to share? Apply to be a guest on the podcast at farmingonpurpose.com. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, on your favorite social media platforms for more content by searching for Farming on Purpose. And remember, if you look around your table and aren't inspired by the people there, it's time to find a new seat.